The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. You've tuned in to Columbia Calling, your first stop for everything you want to know about Columbia. How and where to invest, where to visit. From the Pacific to the Caribbean, the Andes Mountains to the Amazon jungle, Columbia has a slice of everything. Shooting from the hip, answering the questions that need answering. Here's your host, the journalist and hotelier, Richard McCall, shedding some light on the fashionable South American destination of Colombia. It's that time of the week again, folks. This is me, your host, Richard McCall, here in Mompos, Bolivar. That's five hours south from Cartagena in Colombia's sweltering Caribbean lowlands. And this is episode 386 of the Columbia Calling podcast. This episode follows quickly on the heels of episode 384, in which we discussed being a freelance journalist with our newscast journalist, Emily Hart. She's based in Medellin. Do check out her clippings, very good stuff. And then, of course, the quite frankly excellent conversation with uh, academic and author Sharika Crawford, based in Annapolis at the U.S. Navy Academy. And we talked about the history and the culture of San Andres and Providencia. That's, you know, Colombia's Caribbean islands close to Nicaragua. We talked a bit about slavery. We talked about piracy. We talked about the contemporary issues there, the turtle men, and more. So a really interesting story with uh, Dr. Dr. Professor, Associate Professor Sharika Crawford there. So this episode 386 is going to be slightly different. We, are, we get to talk to three members of La Primera Linea. That's the front line. That's the front line youths in the protests against authorities. And we'll be talking about why they are protesting, who they are, and what they hope to achieve. And they will share with us their fears, their desires, and their hopes. And so rather than interviewing them, I'm listening because they have a lot to say. And so we'll have three individuals, three youths, whose names will remain unknown. I don't even know them, so therefore I cannot give them out. Uh, they've chosen to keep their names anonymous due to the very real fear of reprisals against themselves and their families. I can reveal that they are located in both Popayan and Cali, so in the epicenters, or some of the epicenters, of unrest during the Paro Nacional protests. And then friends of theirs, based up in the U.S., will be doing the translating of their interventions. And so we've got a pretty international. So we're going Mompos, Popayan, Cali, and the United States are all linked at once. And we'll be talking to the Primera Linea. And of course, they're keen to dispel the fact that uh, the way that the government labels them and stigmatizes them as terrorists. So we talk about that and we talk about the damage to public and private property and of course what has gone on and you know friends of theirs who have since perished or disappeared. We'll talk about it all and I'm sure you'll find it uh, quite compelling, quite interesting and indeed worrying. 
So just another chapter and another element from Colombia's unrest in recent months and years. Thank you again to all of those of you who are continued uh, listeners and Patreon supporters. Should you want to uh, be a, a patron of the Columbia Calling podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash Columbia Calling, and there, for as little as $2 a month, you can help us out. But I'm going to leave you now in the capable hands of our newscast journalist, uh, Emily Hart, and then we'll be back with three members of the Primera Línea in southwest Colombia talking in Spanish, but translated, about why they are doing what they are doing. So thank you for listening, and don't go away. I'm Emily Hart, and these are your top stories for the week of July 26th, 2021. Protesters were back on the streets across the country on Tuesday, 20th of July, also Colombia's Independence Day, after a pause in mobilizations amid the third peak of the pandemic. There were more than 200 protest events that day. Nearly three months after the protests broke out on the 28th of April, sparked by a tax reform which the government then repealed, little has been resolved. Structural issues which caused the poverty and violence which has brought many to the streets remain unaddressed. The state violence, which characterised much of the first wave of protests, continued yesterday, though seemingly reduced, with numerous wounded in multiple cities. Human rights organisation Temblores says that it was able to verify 128 cases of police brutality. The group reported 40 victims of assault by police and at least 41 arbitrary arrests. Colombia has now suffered more than 50 massacres this year, which have left more than 189 people dead. The most affected regions are Antioquia, Cauca, Valle de Cauca and Nariño. The numbers continue to rise as more massacres take place in Colombia each year. Homicides also rose by more than 20% in the first half of 2021. As part of a bid for economic activation, President Ivan Duque has signed a decree authorising the export of medical cannabis. He assured that with this decree, he would seek to turn the sector into one of the biggest generators of employment, especially for young people. And we are seeing a steady decline in COVID-19 infections during the third and most fatal peak since the beginning of the pandemic. New daily cases are now at around 16,000 and still falling. The pressure on Colombia's hospitals continues to be critical in many of the country's big cities, but has decreased significantly over the past two weeks. With only 8% of the world's population, Latin America has suffered nearly a third of global deaths from the pandemic, as well as facing its worst recession in 120 years. Those were your top stories for the week. Now back to Columbia Calling with Richard McCall. And so this is episode 386 of the Columbia Calling podcast. Thank you to Emily Hart for her news segment there. Uh, and we'll start, we'll start right away with our conversation, although it's not so much of a conversation rather than an opportunity to listen to three of the youths who make up parts of the front line in their respective hometowns and cities, La Primera Línea, and are hoping to share with us the reasons as to why they're out in the streets or have been out in the streets. They're certainly out in the streets on July 20th and for the 30 plus days that the Paro Nacional ran for earlier this year and of course in 2019 before the pandemic struck. But we're going to be discussing with them and listening to their hopes and fears. And there are some very real fears and some quite incredible stories about what they have faced up to. So these three youths, 
is, as I say before, remain unnamed. I do not even know their names because they are very afraid of what might happen to them and their loved ones should the authorities find out. And uh, their interventions will be translated not only by uh, Michael in the USA, but also his partner, MCI. So both of them will translate, and we will discuss a little bit of everything with them, because it's important to hear their perspectives. You know, I will continue to do episodes that deal with the uh, struggles in Colombia, and I think this one is of particular importance. If it's of a new generation coming through who just don't feel as if there's any opportunity for them here in their country, and so therefore are struggling for more. Now, this is not to condone the violence on in, on, in any shape or form, and we do address this, the destruction of private and public property. We do address this, and so it's important to listen. It's important to hear, and it's important to have dialogue in Colombia. So I'm going to now hand over to our translators in the U.S. who will then give an introduction to the interventions from the three participants in their respective hometowns and cities, and then we'll go back and forth between translations and the Spanish uh, versions given by these youths. So thank you again for listening to what is the first of its kind for our Columbia Calling podcast, kind of a bilingual podcast today. So thank you again. Over to you. Thank you so very much for this space. Um, on the name of NCI, I want to help Richard and um, all the people here. Uh, we're going to be translating and interpreting for you. So next, we're going to have Sunsu. And if you want to uh, go ahead and do your part, we're going to be ready for you. Primero que todo, muchas gracias por el espacio. Bueno, eh... Lo que les quería comentar es que la crisis social en Colombia no es algo nuevo. Es algo que por cientos de décadas eh, se ha presentado por las equívocas decisiones de los malos gobiernos. El mal manejo de una deuda externa, reformas tributarias que han beneficiado a una población más rica del país y una cantidad de tratados de libre comercio que han puesto en peligro principalmente la soberanía alimentaria del país y con ello el trabajo de muchas familias. Toda la anterior ha desarrollado una profunda desigualdad en el país, donde el 1% retiene el 40% de las riquezas, mientras que más de 21 millones de personas viven en la pobreza y 7.5 millones en la pobreza extrema. Para un país que ha vivido sumido en la violencia por décadas, un levantamiento popular era una bomba de tiempo, y fue detonada por el incumplimiento de los acuerdos de paz por parte del actual gobierno, la persecución, asesinato y estigmatización de líderes y lideresas sociales, el mal manejo por parte del gobierno de la pandemia, casos de corrupción que han quedado en la total impunidad y principal detonante fue una reforma tributaria nefasta que terminó sacando tanto opositores como personas afines al gobierno a marchar todos juntos en la calle mostrando su inconformidad. Hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Michael. I'm going to be doing a small translation of what was just said here in English. And in summary, what is being said here is that there is a lot of inequality in the country uh, for many reasons. Uh, the crisis is not anything that's new in Colombia. 
for a very long time, hundreds of years. The wrong decisions have been made by bad government. There's been a lot of mismanagement of tax reforms and most of the things there are benefiting the very, very wealthiest of the country. And it's not unlike things that go on in other countries too. There's a number of free trade agreements. They have endangered the, the food sovereignty of the country. With this, the, the work that many families do, deep inequality where 1% retain 40% of the wealth. Uh, more than 21 million people live in poverty and 7.5 million in extreme poverty. For a country that has lived submerged in violence for a long time, a popular uprising was basically a time bomb that was bound to go off at some point. And so the breach of peace agreements by the current government, there's been a lot of persecution, murder. The leaders, social leaders have been killed. They've, people have been disappearing. Um, the evil government has been really not handling the pandemic very well either. Colombia has lived under some of the strictest lockdowns of any country on the earth since the whole pandemic began. There have been uh, numerous cases of corruption, police brutality. Um, a lot of the, the people in the country are unarmed. And so the country is using the, the military and the police with excessive force against their own citizens. And the people have put up with a lot there. So I can remember a time even in the city of Popayan for many months that, you know, the, the COVID lockdowns were you were allowed out of your house once every two weeks for a four hour window. I mean, that's pretty that's pretty strict. That's pretty authoritarian. And the Colombians being the peaceful people that they are, the Christian people that they are, for the most part, um, just took it and they just accepted it. And they were like, OK, fine, if we have to just stay in our houses, we'll just stay in our houses and it wasn't really until a lot of these bad tax reforms started to get passed during the same exact time period that the people finally actually started to rise up and, and, and protest a little bit. And, yeah, it's been just met by the government with, with a lot of excessive force and violence and people getting injured and killed and kidnapped. And most of these people literally in, in the southern cities are just university students with sticks and stones rather than machine guns and tanks. Los jóvenes no se quedaron atrás con el ritmo del paro nacional, pues son de las poblaciones más afectadas, como dicen algunos, a los que le quitaron todo, incluso el miedo. La anterior afirmación es una realidad para los jóvenes. Estudiar en la universidad pública es un privilegio. De 100 jóvenes en Colombia, alrededor de 52 logran entrar a una educación superior cursos técnicos, tecnólogos, universidades, etc. De esos 52, solo 30 logran entrar a una universidad, 15 a la universidad pública y otros 15 a una entidad privada costosa. Finalmente, de esos 30 jóvenes, tan solo 8 podrán graduarse, 5 conseguirán un empleo digno y solo uno tendrá derecho a pensión, es decir, a vivir una vejez digna. Cada vez la idea de pensionarse y de conseguir un empleo digno para los jóvenes en Colombia es una leyenda, porque vivimos en un país el que no le interesa que los jóvenes tengan posibilidad de educarse gratuitamente para servir a la ciencia, a la tecnología y al avance del mundo. Al gobierno solo le interesa tener jóvenes obedientes, los cuales puedan explotar y seguir enriqueciendo a ese 1% del cual iniciamos hablando. En lugar de escuchar los llamados de los jóvenes, el gobierno fascista del presidente Iván Duque con su ministro de defensa Diego Molano ha decidido estigmatizar a los jóvenes llamando a los terroristas y desplegando contra ellos 
todo su arsenal de represión y fuerza desproporcionada a manos de la Policía Nacional y el SMAT, dejando como saldo más de 70 jóvenes asesinados, cientos de desaparecidos y miles de heridos. Young people also are part of the national strikes and mostly they are from um, the poorest of the populations. You know, there's a saying here in the U.S. that um, I, I know that people have used quite a bit, which is like when people have nothing left to lose, they lose it. Right. So, and this is where the people are in Colombia right now. Um, everything had been taken away from them. That's their reality. For the youth there in Colombia, studying at a public university is a privilege. That's basically what they live for. That's their way to improve their life situation. Out of 100 people in Colombia that are in the, their youth, um, about half or 52 enter a higher education. And of those 52 that do enter, um, only 30 of them manage to get into a real university. 15 to a public university, the other 15 to an expensive private university. Only eight will actually graduate, five will get a job, and one will retire out of 100. Every time the idea of retiring and getting a decent job for a young person in, in Colombia at this point now is kind of like a legend. In the country now, it is not important for the government to give the young people the possibility of free access to education or services and science, technology, things that advance the world. The government right now seems to only care about having young people that it can exploit um, and use to continue to make the rich people richer. Instead of listening to the young people, the government of Duque, which is largely fascist, um, along with his defense minister, Diego Milano, rather instead would rather um, sort of demonize the young people and call them terrorists uh, and sort of just display them in a bad light. And instead are now like de deploying the um, military and the police against them and, and using excessive force. So now we have at least that we know of 70 murdered people that are young um, and hundreds that have disappeared and thousands that are wounded. And of course, we know things that are reported are probably grossly underreported as it's likely to be much higher numbers than that in actual reality. Hoy los jóvenes en Colombia protestan culturalmente por la paz, por oportunidades, por no ver más de sus compañeros, amigos y familia morir. Luchan por un país digno. Y en este mismo orden de ideas, muchos se han organizado en primeras líneas de defensa, jóvenes armados con su escudo de lata y mucho valor para enfrentar a los que, en lugar de cuidarnos, actúan de forma criminal y disparan sus armas en contra del pueblo que juraron algún día defender. Today, the young people in Colombia are protesting culturally for peace. They're protesting for opportunities. They're protesting so that they don't see more of their friends, family, acquaintances being harmed or, or killed. They are protesting for a dignified country. Many of them have organized on the front lines of defense. The young people are now armed with their tin shields and a lot of courage. And they are confronting those who, instead of taking care of them, are acting criminally towards them and firing their weapons against people who they at once, they at one point had actually vowed to protect rather than to fight against. But next, we would like to invite Maine. Ok, con respecto a la violencia, para hablar de ella, pues se hace necesario conocer su definición. 
Entonces, según la Organización Mundial de la Salud, la violencia es el uso intencional de fuerza o poder físico, de hecho o como una amenaza, contra uno mismo, contra otra persona o contra un grupo o comunidad que cause o tenga muchas probabilidades de causar lesiones, muerte, daños psicológicos, trastornos de desarrollo o privaciones. To have a conversation about violence, it is necessary to know the definition of violence. So, the definition of violence, according to the WHO, which is the World Health Organization, violence is the intentional use of force or physical power, in fact or as a threat, against oneself, another person, or a group, or a community, which causes a high probability of injury, death, psychological harm, developmental disorders, or deprivation. Hemos evidenciado en cada marcha varios actos de violencia en contra de las personas que participan en ella. Hemos visto nosotros mismos cómo algunos agentes de la fuerza pública accionan sus armas con una finalidad muy distinta a la de disuadir o dispersar una protesta pacífica. Es así como a la protesta pacífica en Colombia se le ha dado un tratamiento de guerra. En la ciudad de Popayán, el SMAT se encargó de arrebatarnos una vida, la de Sebastián Quintero. Él tenía 23 años de edad, era un estudiante de ingeniería informática que aún hoy recordamos y seguimos luchando porque su muerte no quede en la impunidad. We have witnessed in each of these marches and protests several acts of violence against the people who are participating in them. We have seen how the public police force use their weapons for a very different purpose than to just simply dissuade or disperse a protest. The peaceful protests in Colombia have been treated as more or less like war. In Popayan City, the riot police had taken the life of a Sebastian Quintero, who was only 23 years old, a computer engineering student who we still remember. And today we continue fighting so that his death does not go unpunished. Anexando a este hecho, tenemos el lamentable suceso del suicidio de nuestra compañera Alison Salazar, de que tuvo lugar el 12 de mayo, quien fue víctima de violencia de género y abuso físico, sexual, verbal, emocional y también psicológico, amenazas y coacción por parte de la policía antidisturbios denominada SMAT. También tenemos víctimas de mutilación ocular en el accionar de las armas supuestamente no letales por parte del SMAT en las diferentes movilizaciones, entre ellos tenemos el caso de Faber Carvajal Hernández, el cual aconteció el pasado 7 de julio. We also have an unfortunate event of the suicide of one of our partners, Alison Salazar, who on May 12th was the victim of gender-based violence and physical, sexual, verbal, emotional, and psychological abuse, as well as threats and coercion by the riot police agents. This is, of course, one of many reports of violence, especially of the police against the, the women in the country. We also have victims that have eye damage and eye mutilation, um, so non-lethal um, injuries to their eyes by the riot police and in the case of Faber Carvajal Hernandez, which occurred on July the 7th. Faber Carvajal Hernandez. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, gracias, May. Ahora continuamos con el Sierva María. El primer punto que queremos eh, tocar en este en este ítem es el conocimiento en cuanto a nuestra Constitución y también a los poderes eh, legislativos. 
En este punto nosotros planteamos cómo nos queremos ver de hoy en 11 meses, en una visión prospectiva. Entonces, uno de los puntos más eh, focales que se tiene es el de que la juventud como tal conozca su constitución, eh, sus deberes y sus derechos y también de qué manera eh, estos se enfocan en cada una de los poderes que, que se tienen en Colombia, eh, dependiendo de la rama en la que se ubiquen, eh, hablando de la rama judicial, ejecutiva y legislativa. Como segundo subítem tenemos eh, la supervisión internacional en el proceso y software electoral del 2022. Colombia destina una plataforma con, como tal que se encarga de que las elecciones sean limpias, libres, justas eh, y que se refleje cada una de las intenciones de los ciudadanos. Pero en sí no cuenta con el personal idóneo a nivel nacional para la supervisión del software electoral, ya que siempre se presentan intereses individuales y políticos, siendo un proceso ambivalente y corruptible. Tenemos otro tema que es el de la equidad nacional. En sí, eh, uno de los problemas más grandes de Colombia es que está dividido por las clases económicas, las cuales definen las oportunidades a las cuales se puede acceder o no cada ciudadano, siendo así que la mayoría debe cambiar sus principios morales y éticos para obtener un porcentaje de mejor calidad de vida. Y por último, nos vemos con una premisa que es eh, rebajar eh, los senadores, su salario y la no reelección de los mismos. Eh, este es uno de los de los karmas más grandes que tiene Colombia. Aunque tengamos una organización legislativa bicameral, se maneja un costo salarial muy alto por cada integrante de esta rama y no son justificados ni equilibrados con su labor. Se han presentado diferentes iniciativas para mediar en ello, pero siempre se desaprueban. Thank you, Sirva María. Now Michael is going to make a summary and inter interpretation of what you just said. Yeah, so what we hope to achieve in the 11 months up till the next election when uh, there's going to be a change in the government is that people be more empowered with political knowledge. Uh, we no longer want people to be swayed to vote one way or the other by the offering of gifts and what we in the United States would call bribes. So in Colombia, they offer food and free websites or other gifts in exchange for votes. We would also like to have international supervision in the electoral process in 2022, national equity, the reduction of senators and their salaries, as well as their non-reelection. Right now, we do not have the ideal personnel at the national level for the supervision of this, the election process in general. Individual and political interests are always at least seeming to be very corrupted. Colombia is a country that is divided by economic classes and opportunities that each citizen can access is not very equal right now. The majority have to change their moral and ethical principles to obtain a better quality of life. So although there is a okay, so although there is a two-party legislative organization, a very high salary is, is given to each of these members in government and which is not justified or balanced with the work that they do. Uh, different initiatives have been presented to provide some sort of a solution for this, but they never get approved. Thank you so very much, Serva Maria. So, so far, these are like kind of the uh, points they would like to talk about. 
and they would like the international community to know about. These are things that they have um, came out with and they want us to be their voice so people know that they are not just like vandals as people call them. They are people that know what is going on and are students and are people that can contribute to better the situation in Colombia. Yeah, the government just wants to paint them as like, you know, vandalist kids that don't have anything better to do but to, you know, spray some graffiti on signs and destroy public property when hardly anything could be further from the truth, to be honest. And most of them right now are scared to death to even speak out at all because of the police coming and kidnapping them in the middle of the night and those kind of things that are going on. So, yeah, we, we they they and we really want to get some more light shined on the whole situation as right now a lot of it's going on unnoticed. This is all incredible. So I'd like to jump in here and, and ask each one of them and they can respond in turn uh, and ask each one of them and this will be, of course be translated off off on the side for them. But what about you know, your hopes and fears and what about uh, being labeled as terrorists by the state authorities and the government and, and what do you think of those people who stand up and say, yes, we support the strikes and we support why we're up there and of course those who don't support the strike and then they and and both sides of these people will then point to the fact of the wanton destruction of public and private property how do you answer to this because it's a very real deal and you, you know you'll you'll win over more hearts and minds if you are seen not to be destroying property but peaceful protest out there so i think this is a very important thing especially when when uh, you know people in contra or against the the, the paro nacional stand up and say yes but look at the effects that they've caused the the negative effects they've caused the economy by uh, having the highways blocked and people couldn't get their their goods through and the farmers suffered and cities were starting to run out of food and truck drivers were blocking and so on. So what do you say about this? And then as a sort of follow-up question, I would like to ask about the real fears. I mean, what have they experienced whilst on the front line, the Primera Linea? What have they, what have each of these three individuals experienced, for example, in terms of, of brutality or friends or, or family, loved ones who have been attacked? Or what can they tell us about being in the thick of things in La Primera Linea in places such as Cali and Popayan? I think my, my listeners would really enjoy hearing all of this. They'd really appreciate rather than enjoying, but they'd really appreciate hearing all of these sort of uh, elements here on the Columbia Calling podcast, just to clarify things. I'm not attacking. I'm not accusing. We're here to listen again. Thank you. Uh, yes, that, that is completely fine. And if you would like to um, ask that in Spanish, any of them are prepared to answer because, uh, as I said, there are here some kids that have, uh, like, one of them has another kid. Like, she's a kid with another kid. She's the mom of somebody, and there are some moms, some mothers that go out on the streets and they have to make difficult decisions is either going out to the streets to fight because they want a better future for the kids or is to stay at home and do nothing and continue in the same situation. Like I was telling you before, 
me myself, I was protesting and I was going through these violent situations. 22 years later, we're still in the same situation. Why? Because I kind of like don't understand this uh, system. So you just uh, feel free to ask any question and do it. If you want to do it straight in Spanish and they are ready to answer for you. Vale, para esta pregunta me quisiera tomar la palabra yo. Entonces, son acusaciones que si bien son ciertas, lo que ha sucedido acá en Colombia es lo que sucede en cualquier parte del mundo de que la violencia genera más violencia. Nosotros en el paro del 2019, en el 21 de noviembre, se demostró que un paro se podía hacer pacíficamente, se demostró que se podía hacer cívicamente en la mayoría de, de la movilización. Sin embargo, se presentaron eh, represiones por parte del Estado a, a pesar de todo eso. Yo lo viví en la parte de Cali. Entonces, en la ciudad de Cali, a pesar de que la gente estábamos totalmente pacíficamente, solo unos pocos, muy pocos, hicieron unos cuantos disturbios. La, la fuerza pública determinó levantar un toque queda en contra de todas las personas y atacar a todas las personas con gases y con diferentes formas para que eh, se despejara la movilización ya al final. Entonces, viniendo a ese contexto, el contexto de acá del paro nacional, lo que ha sucedido es algo similar. La, las personas se han esforzado por hacer del paro una manifestación cultural, pacífica, sin embargo hay muchas irregularidades que comete la fuerza pública y también hay muchas irregularidades que cometen los manifestantes. O sea, es de parte y parte, no se puede desvirtuar. Sin embargo, se supone que una institución pública debe dar ejemplo. Se supone que una institución pública debe tener sus protocolos impecables. Uno no le puede exigir a una persona que no conoce, que está en la calle eh, con una capucha, que, que tal vez respete todos los protocolos porque no es parte del Estado. En cambio, uno sí se lo puede pedir a un informado. Uno les puede pedir que salgan con su identificación visible, que no tiren objetos que no están reglamentados por los protocolos internacionales de derechos humanos. Entonces, con respecto a las acusaciones, sí, hay violencia de parte y parte. Sin embargo, es algo, es algo que, que los jóvenes lo han hecho por un hartazgo social, por un hartazgo de, de estigmatización, por un contexto en el que han, han venido siendo eh, estigmatizados, llamados terroristas, eh, han ido a sus casas, los han allanado de manera ilegal, se han llevado sus pertenencias, han robado celulares, o sea, entonces la fuerza pública tiene un actuar muy criminal y de ahí a que, a que los jóvenes también respondan de la misma manera. Sin embargo, el, el discurso que tenemos que tener con los jóvenes es también tratar de canalizar toda esa energía negativa, toda esa rabia que nos genera ese abuso de poder y también hacerlo en cosas positivas, como se ha visto en ciudades como en Cali. Los muchachos canalizaron todo eso para hacer un monumento a la resistencia, que es algo muy positivo. Canalizaron todo eso para hacer un concierto, para hacer diferentes actividades como ollas comunitarias y eso es lo que no muestran los medios tradicionales se hacen ollas comunitarias, se hacen talleres de danza, se hacen talleres de pintura hay mucha gente comprometida por trabajar en paz y, y con esto termino y los destrozos que causan eh, los vándalos como son llamados ya sea por bajar señales de tránsito que son eh, objetos que ellos usan 
para proteger su integridad porque ellos no cuentan con un respaldo económico como si las fuerzas institucionales entonces tienen que agarrar lo que encuentran en la calle para proteger su vida porque están protegiendo su vida entonces todo eso que genera los destrozos no es ni siquiera una ni siquiera la mitad del dinero que se va en este país por corrupción por ejemplo la reforma tributaria de Duque la que la que se tumbó con el paro nacional pretendía recaudar 94 billones de pesos y la mayoría de ese dinero eh, era un hueco fiscal presentado en el país por corrupción. Entonces la gente tiene que entender que, que sí, se generan daños a, la, a los sectores públicos, pero no es ni una mínima parte de lo que tienen que pagar todo el año por los, la, el dinero que se pierde en contrataciones, en corrupción, y, y para cambiarle el uniforme a la policía como lo hicieron en estos días, o sea, actos totalmente fuera de contexto porque cambiar un uniforme policial no va a cambiar una institución. Okay, so in this time I am going to try to summarize all what he said. All right. So um, he's talking a little bit about um, the two sides of the coin. We'll say also uh, the coin has three sides, like you know, heads and tails and the border around the coin. And so he is a person that is very objective and he is trying to see how um, violence generates more violence in both ends. For example, when he was in Cali, he was uh, in Cali, he observed in these specific protests that um, there were only few of them that were protesting, but some disturbance was created by some people that were kind of infiltrated. So that created some police reactions. Those police attacked with gases that were expired. They caused more riots. So people started to rise more. But also, he says that um, public forces should give example in the way they are, they are treating this situation because there is no right for them to be treating people the way they are doing it. And also, uh, they see that he says that some protesters are also doing wrong because sometimes they start doing some things that are not according to what their uh, principles are. So they are not there to cause any harm to anybody. They are just protesting for the uh, main benefits, I mean, main um, rights that any human ring has by the government to respect. So protesters, protesters should also give example. And he says that all this uh, energy that they have should be canalized through all that anger that they have should be converted, doing positive things. Like for example, the olla comunitaria, which is the pot that everybody comes together, joins into this uh, important moment, and there they can start doing different activities. It's something that is a space that all of them enjoy, but also can contribute with uh, these positive things that can bring, uh, for example, arti artistic events and so on. Another part that he's talking about is how human rights has been also affected because they have been also victims of the conflict. Uh, some of them we have seen 
that are not being respected and have been, have been harmed by the riot police SMAT. And they are there to protect life, but most of them right now are being invoked and are not being respect, respected by the uh, riot police SMAT. So the main focus of him right now is protect your life. And he is inviting all of the people that are outside to get together and through positive things try to contribute to a new country. Um, he also talks about corruption and how corruption in Colombia has brought all these kind of, uh, they call it estallido social, because uh, he says more or less 24 billion pesos, which is a lot of money, has been going to different institutions. They are putting all this money into the wrong pockets. And instead, uh, these people are just not helping to the process of peace. They are being like paying different stuff that is not for the people, but for these only these corrupted ones. So another part that he's talking about is how uh, changing the uniform of the police is not going to change reality now. That's part of like the, the main uh, summary that I would say, but if it's the question there, I can go back and ask if I have missed any of those things that he said. Bueno, eh, cuando hemos salido de las marchas, hemos visto que un 99% eh, siempre se presentan hostigamientos. Entonces, eh, los chicos <ríe> prácticamente somos eh, muy inocentes porque con lo que nosotros nos protegemos no es algo que amerite eh, una, una represión a la cual estamos expuestos, ¿sí? Estas heladas, eh, pedazos de maderas, los cascos plásticos, de ninguna manera nos van a proteger porque es que del eh, modo en que las lanzan directamente hacia nuestros cuerpos, hacia nuestras cabezas y hacia nuestros ojos, es, es eh, inevitable que que de pronto no genera una lesión en nosotros. Entonces, claro que sí, hemos visto frente a nosotros cómo eh, han habido lesionados, cómo la tanqueta eh, excede su velocidad y la tira hacia los, los manifestantes. Nos hemos visto eh, en la preocupación de huir, eh, porque es que es la represión del SMAT, eh, el acompañamiento de las motorizadas que tienen como una especie de cacería. Entonces, mientras que la tanqueta prácticamente va eh, eh, detrás de nosotros, le hacen como un plan candado y entonces las motorizadas nos esperan en otro lugar entonces se llevan a los muchachos, otros resultan golpeados, lesionados y eh, esta clase de cosas eh, de alguna manera algunos los han afectado demasiado pero otros nos han hecho como muchísimo más fuertes y la idea no es eh, abandonar ni dejarla a los muchachos solos pues porque uno considera que estos muchachos eh, salen 
es por amor a proteger a quienes salen a manifestar, ¿sí? Ellos se exponen, pero su único objetivo es proteger, es proteger a los marchantes, a los manifestantes, proteger a sus familias y proteger a su patria, porque de cierta manera lo que se quiere es un cambio colectivo para todos, un cambio nacional, un cambio en el que nos lleve a, a conseguir una equidad y eh, que todos tengamos las mismas oportunidades, quizás... Yo he visto eh, que muchas personas muy jóvenes no pueden acceder a una universidad, eh, ni siquiera a un técnico o tecnólogo, y de pronto porque uno sí tiene la oportunidad, no, entonces yo no voy a salir muy, muy por el contrario. Es esa empatía que te hace luchar por esa persona que no tiene eh, esas posibilidades. Y pues quiero dejar, eh, le doy la palabra a, a Chun Chu. Vale, eh, aquí en Colombia hemos vivido la represión de muchas maneras. Hemos visto que en Cali la policía ha salido a disparar a las calles junto a civiles armados. Hemos visto cómo disparan en los barrios, eh, zonas residenciales, disparan gases sin importar que hay niños, hay ancianos. Hemos visto cómo se llevan a compañeras y las tocan. Hemos visto cómo amenazan a nuestras compañeras con tocarlas. También hemos visto cómo atacan a personas que ni siquiera hacen parte de la movilización. Aquí en Popayán nos dimos cuenta que con su arma Venom, un arma eléctrica que dispara varios, fusil, varios cartuchos a la vez, asesinaron a nuestro compañero Sebastián. Vimos cómo muchos salieron de heridos en ese día. He visto cómo a un, a un compañero... Con una bala de goma le sacaron su ojo y tuvieron que atender a la brigada y perdió su ojo. Entonces, eh, o sea, la, el abuso de poder que hemos vivido muchos, y yo sé que hay personas que lo han vivido más en carne propia que yo, es totalmente brutal y es desproporcionalizado. Eh, hace dos días nomás nos encerraron en una calle, nos llenaron toda la calle de gas empezaron a dispararnos a quemar ropa y al cuerpo desde unas motorizadas ubicadas en una esquina de la calle y nos eh, avanzó el ESMAD por la otra esquina, o sea, nos acorralaron en esa calle, nos llenaron todo de gas, la gente se estaba ahogando mientras esquivaba los disparos de, del, del, del ESMAD y de la policía, de los disparos de gases y aturdidoras. Muchos salieron heridos, eh, la gente tuvo que refugiarse en los techos de la casa, romper algunas puertas para poder entrar a las casas por la desesperación de ahogarse. Tuvimos el informe de que se llevaron como a un compañero ese día, no, no sé bien qué pasó con él, y quedaron solo las marcas de sangre de los muchachos que fueron golpeados eh, y las personas eh, pues ahogadas eh, por los gases. Eh, pues creo que no hubo fatalidades ese día, afortunadamente. Sin embargo, ahí nos damos cuenta del actor de la policía y justo ahí estaba eh, el mayor que los dirige a ellos, eh, evidenciando todo el procedimiento totalmente ilegal y quedó registrado en un video de una prensa llamada Red Alterna aquí en la ciudad de Popayán. Entonces, es solo uno de los tantos ejemplos que, que te puedo dar de, de abuso de poder que hemos vivido y evidenciado los jóvenes en este, en este país. Ok, and before I translate, o antes de que traduzca, por favor, ¿puedes, Main, hablar sobre cuando tuviste que parar la tanqueta? Eh, 
sí, eh, lo que decimos es porque realmente lo hemos vivido, porque estamos, hemos estado en esa angustia. Eh, el 12 de mayo, el día que pasó lo de Alison Salazar, nosotros estábamos en el mismo lugar. Eh, ese día llegábamos del, del centro desplazándonos hacia un lugar del sur denominado La Chirimía en Popayán y eh, veníamos porque la, las dos tanquetas nos estaban persiguiendo desde el centro y pues lo único que queríamos era dirigirnos a otro lugar y terminar bien. Estamos sentados, eh, um, varias personas eh, estaban repartiendo eh, agua panela con pan y pues eh, la estamos recibiendo y pues el, el SMAT no perdona nada entonces empezó a disparar con las tanquetas pues con la tanqueta hacia los manifestantes yo esa primera vez lo único que pensé fue que eh, no estábamos haciendo nada malo que somos unos muchachos que solo quieren que los escuchen y nada más, entonces mi idea pues fue dirigirme hacia la parte ofensiva y pues aclararles que no merecemos este trato porque es el derecho a la vida es un derecho inviolable, es un derecho eh, que está en los derechos fundamentales de la constitución del 91, entonces es algo bastante importante, pero no les importó y empezaron a dispararnos palas de goma, eh, me impactaron en, en el pie izquierdo y a mi hermana pues no toleró la verdad tantos gases porque fueron múltiples y perdió el conocimiento entonces eh, ese día estábamos con mi hermano o sea éramos tres y tuvimos que dirigirnos al hospital pero la ambulancia no pudo acceder porque el SMAT no las dejaba realmente solamente eh, las ambulancias en muchas ocasiones y en esa vez solamente se limitan como a recargarle la munición al, a, al SMAT, entonces no teníamos cómo dirigirnos a un hospital, eh, fue bastante difícil, creo que íbamos eh, por las calles pidiendo ayuda, las personas nos cerraban las puertas, las ventanas, nos decían que nos fuéramos porque era nuestra culpa, porque nosotros estamos tirando piedras y pues era todo lo contrario, en ningún momento pasó nada de eso, simplemente estamos cambiando de lugar y queríamos eh, evitar ese confrontamiento, pero pues tampoco bastó porque ellos siguieron y esas dos tanquetas no paraban y policías y smart y eh, pues tuvimos que ir a los hospital y llegamos esa vez a la casa como a la una y media de la mañana eh, eso por una parte y la otra parte fue el 28 de julio el 28 de junio perdón lo que pasa es que se dio un enfrentamiento en la zona denominada como eh, el morro es un lugar eh, muy turístico ese día estamos allí entonces desde donde yo estaba pues podía ver a mi hermano y en el momento que menos pensé la, taque, la tanqueta se les tiró y entonces pues fue algo que eh, realmente eh, radica como mucha adrenalina en ti, me dio mucho coraje y mucha rabia, entonces eh, no me importó pues eh, pararme frente a ella y decirle que cesara el ataque pues porque es que nosotros somos de carne y hueso o sea, ¿cómo nos van a tirar esas tanquetas? por Dios, es que ¿qué quieren? 
ellos salen a disuadir o salen a matarnos, y si salen a matarnos, ¿por qué no alguien le pone un freno? ¿Qué pasa con el alcalde? ¿Qué pasa con el gobernador y el presidente? ¿Hasta cuándo vamos a tener que tolerar esa clase de cosas? Entonces creo que eh, en ese momento se logró algo, porque pues eh, la tanqueta en ese momento eh, se paró, pues no, no siguió en el ataque y pues ya después los mismos personas que estaban alrededor pues ya me dijeron que primero estaba mi seguridad y que por ende pues mejor retrocediera y me devolviera que por favor buscara a mi hermano pues para verificar que si estaba bien, pues es eso, ¿no? Son esos actos que uno los hace... Al salir de las calles, vuelvo y repito, por amor, por amor a tu familia, a las personas que están a tu alrededor, porque sabes que no son personas malas, ni vándalos, ni mucho menos. Entonces, grosso modo, era eso lo que les quería comentar, eh, era eso lo que eh, iba a la, enfocada a la pregunta. Les agradezco nuevamente y pues los dejo con MSI. Well, Richard, there is a lot to talk about here. So I don't know if you're going to have enough time right now or I can just uh, summarize or what they have said so far. So let's start summarizing what Maine said. So starting that um, from the fact that she is a mother, she has a, a eight-year-old kid, so she had to decide on uh, if she was going to go on the streets to fight for her um, life, and she decided to go there. And in this occasion... She had to run all over these streets because there was there were two tanks that were chasing them. So they had to jump over fences and they were trying to like kind of look for places where they could could be safe. But uh, summarizing, more many people closed their doors and they did not allow them to go into their houses to be safe. So they were kind of like very scared, uh, starting from the fact that she cannot run very much. So uh, all the feelings were really, really stressful. And she was impacted in her feet. And she was with her sister and her, bro her brother. And her sister fainted. And she had to uh, call the ambulance And when the ambulance came, the police did not allow the ambulance to come into the place to pick her up. So they wanted to go to the hospital, but uh, it was many things that were happening in the moment. So they were treating, treat, treating them like if they were really like um, vandals or people that were harming other people. So people, I mean, the police did not uh, take like the precaution of use the procedure that usually they are um, ordered to. And she was just trying to, all of them were trying to run for their life. They were very scared and they were trying to look for somebody to help, but nobody helped them. So these are young kids. They are uh, between the, let's say, a range of um, 20 to max 28 years old. And they are in this world. And in the second event, uh, she also had to face this other episode at a place that is called the Moro. It's uh, very famous in Popayán because uh, the Moro is where, uh, if you heard the news, 
the Indians tear down the one of the sculptures that were right there. And now most people were there uh, in this place. And suddenly there is this tank they are eating and the tank is kind of trying to roll out or those other kids. So Maine uh, is like really anger, angry and she feels like she has to uh, step in front of this tank and she was not thinking about her life but she acted out of love for her family and for her friends so for some reason uh, the tank was in front of her and did not uh, go to a wrong ending but it's not fair that she has to face this kind of situation because uh, she thinks that when is this going to end? This is no fair. They are not um, vandals. They are just people that want to have a, a better future. And they are protesting because they just want to have uh, the right to study, to go to access education. They want to finish finish their university. As a matter of fact, as she said it at the beginning, she is studying. She belongs to the health um, sector. So she, uh, first of all, she uh, wanted to say that she doesn't want anything else but to help people out of love. Their main reason to be there is because they love what they do and they don't deserve this treatment on the part of the police. That's in part the summary of her talk. She said also... Um, 99% of the protest ends in harassment on the part of the SMAT. And she said that there were some motorcycles chasing them. And every time they see them, they have to run and uh, try to escape somewhere they can be safe. They are um, asking for um, equity for all of them, opportunities just to be there studying. Sebastian said, on the other hand, that he and also them saw how um, the riot police killed one of his friends. It was a very traumatic experience for them because he was alive and suddenly he's dead. And he was part of them. So um, he says that in this, mo in this moment, they just don't know what to think. And there is like this feeling that erases when they see blood stains all over the place. And that is very traumatic for them. Uh, that's uh, experience he had. He works with music. He has uh, what they call chirimia. He does these also events that are out of love. So, so with these events, he wants to invite people to come to these artistic events so he can uh, share a knowledge with them. And he mainly does like telling other people, other kids, the reasons why they are there protesting. But in payment, let's say, what the police gives them is mistreatment. The police treats them like they go and they want just to kill people. They don't want to go in peace. They just go and they start 
fighting, uh, especially this tear gas. And that was also something that Maine said that when this tear gas uh, coming to their body, it affects their lungs and they cannot breathe well. They can not like feel uh, hit their heart or they cannot feel the body because it goes also to their eyes and it's kind of very, very um, traumatic for them. So coming back to Sebastian's story, uh, on the last event, and he had to run away. He was presenting one of his uh, musical shows and with the Chirimia again, and him and his brother, I mean, him and his friend, they had to start running because he was hurting his hand. So they started to look for some place to be safe, but people were not opening the doors. So they had to continue running because the motorcycles were chasing them again. So his friend had to go up into the ceilings of some houses and they had to, because nobody was opening the doors. So they were like looking for other ways of surviving. He was hurting his arm and in one of those moments, uh, they just think about until when they have to stand this situation that the government doesn't want to see. The government doesn't want to talk to them. Uh, they just want, again, to study and to do good. Every single action they do is out of love. It's not to harm anybody. Well, thank you, MCI and Michael, for putting us into uh, communication and into contact with these three young people in southwestern Colombia. Without uh, without MCI and Michael, we would never have had this contact. They reached out to me, and thank you for your translations of the interventions given by these uh, these, these three uh, brave individuals. Perhaps foolhardy at times, but brave individuals. So refreshing to hear of members of Colombia's youth involved and interested in politics and making a change. Now, of course, on no level do we condone violence, uh, nor do we con condone any acts of violence, any brutality, uh, anything. The strikes should be peaceful, as should the policing of the strikes. But you heard it. There have been disappearances, there have been worse, there have been killings. So you can check that out on temblores.org. That's the local NGO that has been detailing uh, violence against protesters and, and other groups, and not only during the Paro Nacional, but in other occasions in Colombia. So very important to stay abreast of uh, such uh, events in the country. But I feel that this was a, a different Colombia calling. This may be the sixth podcast that we've done, a six-podcast episode which deals with the Paro Nacional and with the unrest in Colombia. And of course, the most recent unrest was on the 20th of July during uh, the Independence Day celebrations. And so we'll see what happens next. There are still 11 months left of this government. And of course, we are still in the throes of a pandemic here. Despite improvements, we wait and see and hope that the onset of the Delta variant is uh, not as disastrous as in other places, such as in Europe, and of course the spread that we're seeing in the United States right now. But of course, uh, I'm glad that you've tuned in, and I hope you found it interesting. I have been really rather speechless the whole way through this, and of course it makes me think of the 
German journalist who, well, joined the rank and file of the protests in Cali and then received quite severe death threats and very real ones as her companion was shot 13 times uh, only recently. And this is unacceptable. This kind of thing is unacceptable. This, uh, uh, and of course, the way that she was interviewed by, I believe it was RCN or Caracol, one of the two, gave her no opportunity to really say what she was doing. And they, the, the same old arguments were wheeled out. That you don't understand Colombia. You're a foreigner. You have no right to an opinion on this. Uh, it's a tough call, isn't it? It's a tough one to get your head round. But I think at the end of the day is that those of us here and those of us who are Colombianists, of course we have a right to talk about this. Those of us involved, those of us who are journalists, those of us who lived alongside so much of what has gone on in Colombia, of course we do. Of course we can speak out. We may be guests here, but it's, it's an opinion. And this is what's going on in Colombia. So I'll leave you with thoughts I mean, just to reflect, perhaps, on what was said by the three very brave youths in southwestern Colombia. And thank you again to all three of them. And thank you to MCI and Michael for their time. And this has been episode 386. I'd love to hear back from any of you. You can get in touch, Columbia Calling at Gmail, of course, on Twitter at Columbia Calling. We have a Facebook site as well. And our website, there's uh, links directly there, not only to our Patreon campaign, but also to ways of getting in touch. That's columbiacalling.co. Thank you to Emily Hart for this week's newscast. And, of course, be sure to tune in next week. Our, uh, we have more people lined up to talk Columbia-related issues. And, uh, well, we keep on, keep on keeping on and keep on changing. So thank you again for listening. Bye-bye.